Whether disasters are happening on a global scale or in your personal sphere, these are difficult times that require prophetic insight from God in order to be at rest. This is Sam Solon inviting you to the continuing study of the book of Revelation. We now continue our discussion and deconstruction of the book of Revelation. We'll, last time we spoke about the head that was wounded. We saw that at the cross Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, but we saw that in the strategy of Satan he was able to reboot his influence amongst believers. The first major attempt of this kind was having Constantine approve the church as the church of the, of the Roman Empire. And even when the classic Roman Empire ended, uh, the rebooting of the empire as the Holy Roman Empire under uh, by the time of Charlemagne, around 800 AD, actually Charlemagne was crowned king of the Holy Roman Empire on Christmas Day, 800 AD. Charlemagne, by the way, was the uh, the, son, the grandson of uh, Charles Martel um, and was the second emperor of the Carolinian dynasty that uh, replaced the Merovingian dynasty uh, that, had been go- that had been in existence in France at the time. He, at the invitation of the Pope, came to uh, the Vatican on Christmas Day 721 and um, was crowned uh, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. He reconfirmed the Church's position as a subordinate of the state. This gave rise ultimately to all of the state churches. When the the religious Roman Empire collapsed uh, and the states that had been brought under the hegemony of the Roman Church began to break away, among the earliest, of course, were the German states uh, as they provided comfort, support and security for Martin Luther. Um, as, that, as they began to break away, uh, what began to, sh- to take shape and take form in uh, nations of, uh, of Western Europe, the former uh, Holy Roman Empire, what began to take shape were various iterations of the state church, uh, of of the church of the Roman Empire, and it took the form of state churches. So these became what were known as the orthodox churches or state churches. That's how it came to be. Once again, they followed the line of the state offering power to the church in exchange for a productive, tax-paying, um, 
citizenry. Uh, as a consequence, and, and by the way, Satan ruled out, uh, rolled out exactly the same temptation to the church, first with Constantine, subsequently with Charlemagne, and then continuously through uh, the state church, development of state church, rolled out exactly the same temptation that he had offered to Jesus, which was, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, because he said they're mine to give. Understanding that if Jesus indeed acknowledged the sovereignty of Satan by, quote, falling down and worshiping him, it wouldn't matter what, what he gave to Jesus in exchange, because he would end up controlling everything that Jesus had in as much as he would have been the source of the authority of Jesus to rule. Now Jesus clearly understood the difference and knew prophetically that God himself had established him as king. So he said in the second Psalm, God said, Jesus said to God, prophetically in the second Psalm, I will obey the decrees of the Lord. To which God replied, then you are my son, today I have begotten you, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, I'll give you the ends of the earth for your possession. So it, it, was, it would have been entirely inconsistent for Jesus to have accepted the grant of, uh, to have accepted Satan's offer for his rule, as the basis of his rule. He rejected it entirely. Unfortunately, that cannot be said for the historic church. It was eager to accept the grant of emperors and as we followed this, uh, this form of church, we understand that she becomes, she's the woman in the wilderness who becomes the harlot. Now, this, the mortal wound that Jesus inflicted at the cross, or the wound that was inflicted at the cross, had been healed through this device of the church being lured into and agreeing to accept the power of the state. Just like Satan attempted to lure Jesus into an agreement that would ratify Satan's theft of Adam's power, Satan's deceptive accessing of Adam's power. So that mortal wound had been healed. As a consequence of this, Satan proceeded from the time of Adam continuing through Christ and now to the present, Satan uh, continued to, to follow the line of developing a systemic kingdom that had one objective, the objective specified in Scripture from the very earliest of biblical prophecies found in the book of Genesis, third chapter, verse 15, where the seed of the woman or the offspring of the woman would wage, would wage war against the offspring of the serpent and 
the, the seed of the woman would crush his head, yet he would bruise his heel. The end of the age, you see, is when the final playings out of these original prophetic utterances takes place. And you don't have to speculate as to what the events of the end of the age will be like, they will simply be the culmination of and the fulfilling of all unfulfilled biblical prophecies. Now one of the mistakes people make in understanding biblical prophecy is to think that because a prophetic reference has been fulfilled once, that that's all the fulfillment there is. No, God knows the end of every matter from the beginning. He set up everything before the foundations of the world. He contemplated a creation in which there would be cycles of the same thing occurring. The first cycles are designed to keep the promise or keep the statement or keep the concept or the principle, to keep it alive in human culture. Subsequent fulfillments add weight and mass and uh, dimensions to that prophecy while it's yet moving forward to the ultimate fulfillments. Everything ultimately is summarized in Christ, which is to say the body of Christ all of what God had planned, all of what God intended, will give their final uh, accounting in the body of Christ at the end of the age. And this is no exception. Now there are specific prophecies as they regard specific persons, but quite often some of these people are types and shadows of Christ just like others are types and shadow of Satan. So uh, that's why you find so many quotes of uh, Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament even after there had been fulfillments within Scripture. So the mortal wound was healed and, but it was not the, it was not the final crushing of the head of the serpent because it had been prophesied, spoken of in passages like the third chapter of Ephesians, it, would be, it was prophesied that God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, namely that which God accomplished in Christ things accomplished in Christ would be perfected in the body of Christ. So the destruction of the works of the devil, which is the purpose for which the Son of God is revealed, the, the destruction of the works of the devil would be perfected in the body of Christ. When it's fulfilled in the body of Christ, it's the same as if Christ Himself personally fulfilled it, because that's what God envisioned. God saw us, according to Ephesians 1, God saw us in Christ before 
the foundations of the world to the praise of His glorious grace. Now, at this point, I'm not going to go any further into explaining the doctrine of propitiation, but that is what we're talking about. We were included in Christ and God saw us in Christ, so whatever God attributes to Christ, He by extension attributes to us, particularly as it regards fulfilling Old Testament and New Testament prophetic scripture. So, the mortal wound was healed, on account of which the following is said, and all the world marveled. This would be now verse, the latter half of verse 3, if uh, Revelation 13. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon, we know that to be Satan, who gave authority to the beast, this is the systemic kingdom, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now I'll go on and read a few more verses to, to broaden the context, broaden your view of the context, but I want to come back and focus on this question, who will make war with him? Right after that it says, and he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven, and it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and so on. Now I have spoken already to the blasphemies against God, contextually being blasphemies against His name or His, his power and authority, and again here I'm summarizing, His tabernacle or His dwelling place, uh, the body of Christ, and those who dwell in heaven, those who, whose authority and power come from the throne of God as opposed to, we'll later see, those who dwell on the earth. Now there's been a lot of hype and controversy surrounding this issue of war with the saints because we notice that he makes war against the saints whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and he overcomes them. He overcomes them. So how is that so? It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, there are a variety of solutions offered for this notion of Satan making war against the saints and overcoming them. One such offering is, well, that just before we are annihilated in this war, 
by superior military force, we'll be raptured out. And we've heard many of these late night prophets on TBN uh, over the years carrying on about uh, the conglomeration of nations waging war against believers and um, overcoming them and therefore you know we, we long for the for being raptured out. The more current versions of that argues that since this is going to happen it's the right of Christians to defend themselves as citizens and it's the basis on which certain of these same prophets uh, argue that the people of God should buy freeze-dried foods and prepare for siege. They should also have guns and ammunition and by the way this, this is not a comment on gun ownership. We are so triggered if you, you, you know, all the puns intended, we, we are so triggered right now that anything people hear they can only hear within their paradigms. Now listen to me, if you can only hear within your paradigms this is, where, this is your condition. You see and see not, you hear but you don't hear, neither do you understand. So you're, you're blind and you're deaf. The condition right now of everybody hearing a few words and jumping to conclusions and taking positions, that's a condition that is fully descriptive of seeing and not seeing, hearing and not hearing, nor understanding. So if you want to do that, do that. It's your right to do that. You have every right to blind yourself. You have every right to deafen your own ears. And when you're in that condition, you will not see what God is showing, you will not hear what God is saying, and the day will come upon you and the times will come upon you in the fashion of the way times overtake people who are simply fools. Jesus put it this way, O oh, you fools and blind, people who are deaf and blind, Jesus called them fools and blind. You know, I don't actually care if a person listens to me with an open heart or not. I'm attempting to be faithful to the Lord. I don't have time for foolish arguments with deaf and blind people. So I'm not sent to everybody and those who may hear me are those who have a listening ear and a seeing eye and to them I'm sent. But to the rest, the Word of God comes as much for judgment as it does for redemption. You see, I'm not of the view that we've got to do everything in our power to make sure we don't offend people and we do all we can to persuade them of the truth. 
I admit I am not going to persuade people who are deaf and blind. I'm not. And if I don't succeed in persuading them, there are no surprises there. And that's why I say I don't care because it's your, it's your right to blind your own eyes, it's your right to deafen your own ears and if you choose to do that by deciding already what you will listen to and what you will hear, if you choose to do that, it's your right to do it but it doesn't bother me that you do. I don't need to persuade you. So when I say there are certain ones who masquerade as prophets, these have been remarkable times because an entire slew of the prophetic has been disrobed and shown to be naked, not clothed in vision or in righteousness, but rather clothed in political activity. They've been embarrassed and, and made ashamed publicly, but do you think they're repenting? No, they're continuing to to find ways to keep going because in truth they love the following. They're not raising sons, they're content with having fans. I don't care about that. Let, let them and their fans do as they will. But those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they will hear. They will see. Now, so when I say, certain of these late night prophets on TBN or, or other ostensibly Christian networks, when, when, when they, they're telling the people to buy food and freeze-dried food and buy guns and ammunition, the moment I say buy guns and ammunition, the deaf and the blind hear he's either against gun ownership or um, he's a pacifist. Think what you will, I do not care. But to those who have ears to hear what I'm saying is, that's misdirection. If you're an American, you have a right uh, to buy and own as many guns as you want to. And, and um, Nothing I'm saying should be heard or interpreted within the context of your constitutional rights to buy and own guns, own as many as you want to. But that's, if you're doing that in the hope that you're going to somehow prepare for this war against the dragon, you are sadly deceived and overwhelmingly mistaken. And if you're listening to those prophets, you simply lack understanding. So let me tell you about this war. Ordinarily, you would expect that the word, the normal word for war, which is stratiomi, stratiomi, S-T-R-A-T-E-U-O, stratiomi, that word is the normal Greek word, it's the middle voice meaning to make war. It also refers to an encamped army. It's translated in 
passages like 2 Corinthians 10.3, to war. Uh, Metaphorically, it refers also to spiritual warfare as in 1 Timothy 1.18, 2 Timothy 2.3, James 4.1, 1 Peter 2.21. You would expect that word for war to be used when he says, who can make war against the saints? But lo and behold, he doesn't use that word. This is the word he used, P-O-L-E-M-E-O, Polemeo, 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 not strateomi, but Polemeo. Now if you have an ear to hear and if you can make associations and if you have a sufficiently developed vocabulary, what do you hear in the word Polemeo? You hear the word pole, you hear the word polar, you hear the word polemics, polemics. And you hear an argument by people who have staked out different irreconcilable positions. They're engaged in polemics, arguments from polar opposite perspectives. That's the kind of warfare that is referred to in the question, who can make war against the beast? It is not strateomi, which is a military encampment and or a military campaign. So much for the guns and ammunition and freeze-dried food. While you're doing that, hold up in remote areas like of the Western United States, while you're doing that, the war will be going on of rebranding, redefining, polemics, an argument for hearts and minds based in popular contact concepts and changing cultural norms. Now, I will dive into this in the next session, but I wanted to introduce it within this review session before we start moving forward in the rest of these recordings. So, once again, I point out what I have pointed out so many times. Those who teach biblical prophecy and many who teach biblical doctrine go on the basis of assumptions. They assume that domesticated understandings that you readily accept are how they should present complicated things. That's why they can lead the church as children. But God is requiring a mature people to arise in the end of the age, and children need not apply. 
This is not an army of children going off to the crusades. This is an army of mature saints who fully understand their place, their purpose, their calling, their power, their authority. That's who God is raising up in this hour. That's who need to hear this message of wisdom among the mature. Now, when we come back, we'll jump right into Polemeo, war against the saints. I'm Sam Solon, we'll see you then. Bye bye.